Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline. Today, we're all about brain detoxification to help your cognition. And my dear friend, Dr. Christine Schaffner of Eminence Health in Seattle is my guest. She's a naturopath with a wealth of information to share in this area. She was my main healer during the span when I was having memory issues six years ago. What she shares here is the protocol that she used with me. This isn't a take one pill and everything's fixed. This is a multi-layered approach, a lifestyle change really that works. Today, I'm so excited to welcome my doctor, one of my doctors, and also my good friend, Dr. Christine Schaffner. Dr. Schaffner, thank you for being with us today. We're going to have so much fun with this. Oh, we're going to have so much fun. It's just so such a joy to see you um, having this podcast and doing this interview, and I could not be more honored. Oh, thank you, dear, very much. So we're going to talk about brain detoxification today which you are so good at. You mm. did it with me over the last seven years and it worked. <laughs> so where do you want to start when you're thinking about brain health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's such an important topic, right, Jane? And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when we look at the landscape of today, unfortunately, there is just this rise in chronic illness in general and also chronic neurological illness as well. And so, you know, my patients teach me every day and I've had to really become more innovative and solution oriented to really how do we how do we understand what's going on with our neurology, our brain, and how do we really address, you know, these modern illnesses? And so I think that whether you want to prevent a chronic illness, whether you want to recover from a chronic illness, um, this is really foundational for everyone's health today. So I've become really, really passionate about this um, this topic, and my understanding continues to evolve, um, you know, very much. But I'm, I'm happy to kind of paint the picture of what we're up against and how to how to address that. But um, but no, I think brain detox is really important for everyone's health who's living on the planet today. It is because we're bombarded with all kinds of toxins. Mm -hmm. So do you want to start out talking about the lymph and why is lymph important and how can you get that moving if you've got stagnant lymph? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you embrace this very much, Jane, in your health and your recovering and you're continuing to be so vital. And I feel that the lymphatic system is just such an important system and is very still much overlooked. And so when we think about the lymphatic system with brain health, we think about not only the body-wide network that I'm happy to walk us through, but we're also really excited um, to talk about the glymphatic system. And this is the lymphatic system that is in our brain. And it was actually newly discovered. So it's only been discovered since I think around 2015. And um, what we know about this system is that when we sleep, our brains actually shrink at bedtime. So when we're in deep sleep and REM sleep, our brains shrink to move lymph, um, basically bathing our neurons and then most importantly, removing waste. And we're not only removing waste, like normal metabolic waste, and that's a really important part of our physiology, but it's also the opportunity for our brains at night to start kind of emptying that bucket of neurotoxins that get into our brain over time. And that can be um, related to heavy metals. And we know aluminum is a huge 
insult to the brain. Um, it's also thinking about other um, persistent organic pollutants and you know other environmental toxicants. And then there's a whole um, aspect of what we call biotoxins. Um, and biotoxins are related to um, pathogenic microbes that actually the part of their normal metabolic uh, functioning is that they can produce biotoxins for all sorts of reasons. And those can overwhelm um, our system and especially our brain. And so the, the glymphatic system is really important for us to optimize, to, uh, for us to have an understanding of, also feel really empowered, right? Because it's like our brains naturally want to get rid of the junk, right? And it's up to us to optimize the conditions so that that lymph can really um, move out of the brain um, and we can have healthy brains. So when we're thinking about the lymph and the flow, there are some things that can block it. And I remember with me, you said, no, 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 your tonsils, you've had so much tonsillitis and strep throat and stuff that they were not functioning as the garbage can of the brain. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things you need to optimize, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that tonsils are really, really important for overall immunity and overall health, but they're really important lymphatic tissue. And if your tonsils have been chronically inflamed, infected, if you've had chronic dental issues that drain into the lymph in the back of the throat, which is where that whole ring of lymphatic tissue is, if you've had chronic sinus issues, this tissue, which when we think about the tonsils, Jane, we think about just the palatine tonsils, which are the tonsils that um, often get removed if you've had a tonsil but we actually have five different tissues around the ring of our um, oral pharynx. So we have the adenoids, we have the tubal tonsils, the lingual tonsils, um, and um, we have that whole ring of lymphatic tissue. And so if that has been um, inflamed, overwhelmed, infected over time, that can be like a plug in the drain, right? So that can actually in, um, impede our lymphatic drainage out of the brain and also can affect our gut, you know, as well. And so this is a really important part where we do different sprays and different gargles and different things to recover that tissue in order for the lymph to drain. Um, and we also um, think about opening the cervical lymph nodes in the neck to have that drainage route out of the brain be nice and open so that um, the lymph can really flow out of the brain as well. Mm -hmm. And you had me tip my bed up a little bit by six inches, right? Yeah. Because that studies are showing also helps to promote a better lymph flow. Yeah, absolutely. That We call it incline sleeping. And so when you think about it, okay, this um, fluid is moving in and out of the brain at night and we really want it to exit the brain. And so if you prop your bed up around five degrees and you can do that either with a incline bed frame or even putting just, uh, you know, books underneath your bed. Um, yeah, and, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just making that kind of slope um, in, you know, from your head kind of draining. Um, that actually really helps to propel the, the movement of lymph out of the brain. And I, I've seen a lot of wonderful um, clinical anecdotes that people feel good when they do that. And it's not that hard, really. You think, oh, I'd slip down to the end of the bed real quickly at night, but you don't. It's not that much of an incline, so you really don't notice it. Right. Are we done with lymph? You know, I um, want to move on. You know, maybe two more things around the lymph, or a couple more things about the lymph. Mm -hmm. So, um, because this is just such an important topic, and you know, I love talking about it. So, we're thinking about lymphatic drainage at night. You have to have mm -hmm. good optimal sleep for this to be working. 
You mm-hmm. also have to have a, the lymphatic system is a highly interconnected system. So if you have congestion or stagnation in one area, it can affect the other areas. And so when we think about the brain, the brain isn't, you know, um, you know, disconnected from the rest of our body. We think about it in the context of our whole uh, system. And so when we think about having good lymphatic drainage, we want to think about um, making sure, again, I said the tonsils and the cervical lymph nodes. Another area for women um, that is a win- uh, window into your lymphatic system is breast health. So if you have a lot of breast swelling, breast tenderness, um, fibro, um, fibroadenomas, um, like a fibrocystic um, breast, that can be a sign that there can be a lot of lymphatic stagnation in your breasts, and that can also affect lymphatic drainage downstream. Um, gut health. Um, so if you've had a lot of digestive issues over time, a lot of mm-hmm. inflammation, you know, we think about lymphatic um, stagnation within the intestines, but also behind the intestinal wall, and that can also create um, stagnation. And so we want to just think, we want to get our lymph moving in all of our body in order for at night when the lymph is moving out of the drain, it has somewhere to go and it's not just kind of maybe not um, optimally draining and kind of the pooling in the brain because it's, you know, stuck elsewhere. So those are just uh, some other pointers and windows into um, overall lymphatic health. But that's a big project to start to get your lymph moving when it hasn't been moving for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to one of your podcasts recently, which I get so much out of. Oh. Thank you for doing those. <laughs> Spectrum of Health podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were you were interviewing a person who had these different creams and you put creams on your feet and you put them even over your breasts to get mm-hmm. the aluminum out of your breast. There's there's a there's way to to start moving that lymph. Yeah, yeah. How, do, how would you, how do you first approach doing that? Yeah, yeah, thank you. And that was um, Michael Fessler. He has a company called Arbolics mm-hmm. and he has some really innovative topical products. And so, you know, uh, some kind of go-tos for the lymph. So the lymphatic system relies on movement. So really, um, you know, walking every day, getting outside, you know, getting your, you know, um, system moving is a really great way to get your lymph moving. And then there are different tools depending on how um, sophisticated you want from a rebounder, which is like a little trampoline, there's vibration plates. So there are some tools to kind of enhance vibration and movement to get the lymph moving. Um, Water and drinking, you know, enough water and being really hydrated is also really important for the lymphatics. Um, I also like light therapy. So um, getting out into the sun is really great. Um, But if you have a red light or a near infrared light, that actually helps to improve circulation and drainage and that can help move the lymph. Um, there are different herbs, you know, that you can use internally. There's different creams that you can use topically. Um, there's different enzymes that you can do to also break up congestion that's, um, you know, interrelated into the lymphatic stagnation. And then, you know, from kind of another bird's eye view, you know, thinking about, okay, um, why do I have stagnant lymph? Like what are, what are some of the things, maybe lack of mo- movement, lack of hydration, some basic things, but, you know, the lymphatic system is where we we detoxify the body as well as where our immune system um, really engages in, um, you know, what we're exposed to and mounting the response. And so this is really important if you have a high toxic burden, um, that can be a root cause of why you have lymphatic stagnation. And then also if you've been dealing with um, chronic immune issues and having things like Lyme and co-infections or chronic viruses or parasitic infections, mold, mycotoxins, all of that can also impact the lymphatic system. So I think it's important to get the lymphatic system moving, but also think about, okay, why am I in this position to begin with? And have I really looked at underlying causes um, so that you can really uh, lower your load and um, prevent um, exposure ongoing? The great thing is, is if you're diligent, Mm -hmm. if you're really diligent and you have the right practitioner to guide you, you can make a huge difference. You can can change your trajectory with your lymph. 
Oh, absolutely. I think you um, definitely can. Yeah. And your body, I mean, like you, your body loves to move the lymph, right? So when um, this yeah. hasn't been moving, you don't feel good. And once you get it moving, like people feel better. There can be that window. Um, I don't know if you went through this, James, but sometimes when patients um, are really stagnant and have a lot of issues mm-hmm. that they can, all of a sudden the immune systems like waking up, like, oh my goodness, we're moving lymph and I have to deal with all of this. And so sometimes there can be that short term kind of um, what we would call flip um, that your immune system's active and you might have like more flu-like symptoms or you might feel crummy for um, the initial, but don't lose sight on how important that is. And just, you know, working with a practitioner like myself or the education that Jane is sharing, you know, um, doing things like binders and immune support and all of that can help um, minimize those reactions and move through those. And then it gets easier and then your body, and then your body feels good. So that can just be a sign that you need it not, not to back down. <laughs> yeah. Good point. It's a good sign, not a bad yeah, sign. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How about anything else with lymph before we move on? You know, I think we covered it. I mean, we could talk about lymph we got all, all day long, but I think we I think we got a good <laughs> overview there. Yeah. Blood flow mm-hmm. to the brain. Yes. Which yeah. is very important. Definitely really important. And, you know, blood flow is really important in our body, right? Um, and just for health and longevity, we're only as healthy as we can bring nutrition and oxygen to ourselves and remove waste. And the lymphatic system is one part of that, but our circulatory system is is huge, you know, into uh, in that way. And so when we think about the brain, you know, we think about going blood flow going into the brain. But we also think of blood flow going out of the brain. And, you know, with that also being said, um, the lymphatics are tied to our circulatory system. So our lymphatic system is only as healthy as um, we have good blood flow and circulation. And, you know, modern life, you know, we're resilient humans and there's many ways to recover our health. But modern life, we're up against a lot. And there's a lot of things that make our blood um, sticky or um, more what we would call coagulable or more uh, clumped up. It's called rouleau. Um, it's when the red blood cells kind of stack up and then they can't move as well and bring oxygen to the tissues. And, you know, we know um, that even um, I interview some people who um, are doing studies that show that um, EMF actually can make um, our blood uh, more sticky and stagnant. Um, my friend, oh, Dr. Beverly, I know Rubik, she put a Wi-Fi router um, in front of a sample and then um, you know, some subjects and then measured um, their blood and looked at it under dark field and found that it was within 10 minutes of being in a within proximity of a Wi-Fi router about six feet that that increased Rouleau in the blood. And so when you think about it, you know, you know, technology makes our life, you know, highly interconnected. We, we get to learn so much. There's a lot of value, but there is a cost, you know, about how EMF affects um, us in many different ways. But that, you know, I recently talked to her a few weeks ago. And so that just like really hit it home. And then when we think about in this time of COVID, COVID is a vascular inflammatory virus. And so a lot of the uh, secondary effects and a lot of the um, you know, consequences of COVID can be this vascular inflammation and this you know, blood coagulation and clotting. And so when we think about optimizing our health, I think um, you know, doing tools, you know, whatever we can do to keep the blood a good consistency, and that can be um, you know, enzymes, hydration, uh, grounding. Um, so grounding, just getting out into the earth and putting your bare feet on the ground, if you're able to do that, you absorb electrons from Mother Earth, and that actually helps to um, do a lot of things. It helps with um, inflammation, and um, but it, it's really um, helpful for circulation and blood coagulation. And so um, coming back to the 
brain. You know, we think about um, evaluating the arteries of blood going into the brain. So that can be um, looking through ultrasound. You can actually look at the carotid arteries and see if there's any um, plaque or any stagnation or impediment of getting blood into the brain. And then in our patient population, what we found over the years is that the veins exiting the brain, what we call the jugular veins, um, for different reasons can be what we call stenotic narrowed or malformed. And what that means is that blood has a hard time traveling out of the brain. And when that happens, yeah, and when that happens, uh, blood, you know, when you think about, again, it's all interconnected, right? So if you have kind of narrowed hoses here, then what can happen is that the blood um, pools and areas um, in the brain and what they found some, you know, um, some scientists and doctors looked at uh, models of MS when this was first studied, so uh, multiple sclerosis, which is a neurological illness where there's demyelination in the brain. And what they found was that um, around the venules, so around kind of the opening of the veins, that's where the white matter lesions could be. So that's where the damage um, was. And so that um, was where the blood wasn't draining and there could be um, iron deposits and inflammation. And so um, so it's really not a small thing. It's really important that we have really good blood flow into the brain for oxygen, nutrition, all of that good stuff, and blood flow out of the brain so then we don't have this um, pooling or stagnation. And then the lymph travels along the veins. So if your veins are in this position, then the lymph or the glymphatic drainage doesn't happen as well. So, um, so there's all sorts of things to think about for that, but that's setting the stage for looking at blood flow flow in and out of the brain. All of this points to the fact that my community with this podcast, we're into preventing cognitive decline, mm. preventing Great. Alzheimer's. And to, the interventions you're talking about mean that if someone is just experiencing some form of forgetfulness that they can tell is a little bit more than they should be, mm. maybe a parent to their, their friends and family, that these interventions are something they need to hop on them right now before the cognitive decline starts to escalate. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that it's always easier to prevent than reverse. Not that reversal isn't um, possible um, at any stage, but um, prevention is definitely going to be way easier, you know, than um, you know reversing, um, a, you know, a, a cognitive impairment. So, um, so yeah, that's um, definitely what we're thinking. And I'm I'm happy, um, you know, to share some tools for prevention if this is starting to happen. Um, you know, some things to optimize. Um, so one thing um, is you know, if you want to just take stock, you know, especially if you have like cardiovascular history, um, you know, any adverse events in your family history to, you know, consider getting an ultrasound in your arteries and just, you know, seeing what they look like and that can give you a window. Um, and then, you know, I'm a big a proponent um, on structural work. So a lot of how our neck and our cervical spine is aligned actually has an optimal effect on the front of our neck and kind of all of this activity of, you know, arteries and veins and, you know, all of that. So if there's any like possible, um, issue there, one way to help mitigate and override is just making sure we have really good alignment because that can really um, optimize as much as possible, um, you know, if we have good alignment. Flow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's important. Um, and then, um, you know, one of the other things to think about too is when we look at blood flow in and out of the brain, um, we also kind of look at the whole 
cranium. And so not only the neck, but we look at the optimal uh, movement of our cranial bones, um, because that also has a positive effect of blood flow in and out of the brain. And one stress that um, can affect a couple different buckets that we talk about with brain health is our our dental piece, right? So the dental piece is a huge component in our overall health, but our neurological health, but that can also stress out our blood flow in and out of the brain if we have a lot of um, dental interference fields that I'm, I'm happy to talk about as well. We could, you got three hours. <laughs> we can be here all day. You have so much to share. Like, yeah, I know. I hope I'm not overwhelming everyone, but it, you I know, know I, I, I'm coming from a place of, you know, wanting to share this. So you feel empowered because, you know, um, yes. there's more and more awareness around a lot of the topics I've shared, but it, it's still, you know, a small part of um, what are in people's consensus understanding of how to take care of themselves and prevent, especially cognitive decline. Well, let's jump into the dental component. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about sleep apnea. We had we had an expert on okay. sleep apnea okay. in. So and that was fun. But we haven't talked about root canals and things that can really impact that flow then to the brain. Mm-hmm. So mercury in the mouth, yeah. um, which we haven't gotten into heavy metals yet, yeah. really. But so do you want to talk about yeah. the mouth? Let's do it. I think okay. the mouth is still a really important part of our overall health. And unfortunately, a lot of chronic illnesses start in the mouth. And so um, when we think about um, your dental health, you want to take an inventory and you want to think, okay, have I? do I currently or have I ever had an amalgam filling? And an amalgam filling is a silver filling. It's um, one of the um, metals in the amalgam filling is mercury, which is uh, one of the most neurotoxic substances on the planet. And for whatever reason, um, we decided to put that in our mouth, close to our cranial nerves and in our brain. And that mercury vapor over time can um, get deposited into the the nerves that basically transport it um, through through the um, nerve roots and into the cranial nerves that they can get into the brain. So this can be a source of neurotoxicity. So we want to always recommend one of the first things I do with people is to get their amalgams out. We want to do that safely with a biological dentist mm-hmm. and plus with a really good either functional medicine doctor or naturopathic doctor because um, you want to do that in synergy so that you can really um, be ready for it and support it and have like a really positive uh, dental experience. And just a caveat too, so some people think, okay, I got my amalgams out, I'm good. That's just when it all begins, right? So that's step one. But when you've had um, amalgam fillings for a decade or so, there, it's going to take some time to get that mercury out yeah. of your body. You've got to de- detox. Yeah. And, and as you know, uh, detox is a marathon, not a sprint. It does, you know, not, you know, happen overnight, you know, nor do we want it to because that would just be really, you know, alarming for the body. So it is a, it's a process and a lifestyle. Um, so amalgam fillings and then, Root canals. So root canals, unfortunately, are dead teeth. So they're teeth that have died, and then dentists take out the nerve and, you know, clean out the tooth and then stuff it with um, often non-biocompatible material and other uh, materials that can be um, toxic over time. And why root canals can be so detrimental to people's health is that um, over time, um, what they found is that tooth isn't sterile, that it can actually become a home base for different microbes. Mm-hmm. 
um, that are often, you know, quite um, pathogenic, you know, so different um, bacteria, um, different viruses, they've even found um, molds in the um, root canal teeth, even parasitic infections in the root canal teeth. And so this can be um, a, a hidden source of chronic infection. And because the tooth is so intimately related to the circulatory system that it has a lot of access to our systemic circulation, those microbes can just enter the bloodstream and not only in the blood, but also get into the lymph and into the nerves. And that can be this kind of slow, insidious poisoning of the uh, the body over time. And so we have people um, get their root canals removed, which is, you know, always, a, I know, not the most fun, but it, it's so um, health promoting. And so we have people get their root canal out, um, that the biological dentists really clean that area out with um, ozone and, you know, make sure that it um, heals really nicely. And then we often use um, zirconia implants, which are the most biocompatible that we have at this time um, to put a tooth in that area so that the bite is optimal. Um, and, you know, they have linked, you know, there are um, different uh, microbes in the oral microbiome that they've linked to dementia and Alzheimer's. So we know that the oral microbiome is really, really important for our brain health. And so um, root canals are important to address. And then I guess a couple more things, but the, the other thing to think about is if you have your wisdom teeth out and the wisdom tooth area doesn't heal properly, what can happen is a cavitation can form. And in that cavitation, that there can be um, dead or necrotic bones. It's like a pocket of a hole in the bone that never really fills in with bone. And so it's this kind of mushy oily necrotic bone that has that same effect that the root canal has that it can be a home base for microbes and then that can constantly you know poison the lymphatics and the circulatory system and affect the vagus nerve um so that that again is not a small thing it can be a big thing and each tooth gene sits on an acupuncture meridian so not only do we have these like physical effects that we just went over, but um, there can be these energetic meridian connections. Um, so there can be, let's say, you know, you have a system that is chronically stressed. Um, you know, let's say you have a root canal in the front, um, that's kidney bladder meridian. If you have these chronic urinary tract infections, um, it's not so much causative. While it could be, there could be microbes that travel and affect the urinary bladder from the tooth, but it, it is almost this, um, it's kind of like this boulder in the middle of the road, the, the, until that root canal is not stressing that meridian system, that, that enter that, um, that organ system can become chronically stressed. So we, we see all of these, you know, interrelationships between what's going on in her mouth, you know, and what's going on with uh, the rest of her body. And of course, our brain, because of just proximity alone, that there's a lot of routes that these microbes can get into our brain um, if they're in our mouth. And speaking of mercury that's in the amalgams, that's one of the heavy metals that you're concerned about. But there's also aluminum. Yeah. And we're seeing it's it's horrible today. The autistic children with more aluminum in their brains, yeah. um, people with Alzheimer's with more aluminum than they should have in their brains. So should we segue into toxic metals like that, heavy metals? And Yeah, let's do it. So, okay. You know, as you mentioned, we talked about mercury. So mercury is still 
you know, not only in our mouth, but it's in our air, you know, coal burning um, power plants emit um, you know, mercury, it's in our fish, it's in our food supply. So mercury is a neurotoxin that once it gets into the brain, I mean, we can get it out, but it, it does take time. And mercury can settle into um, astrocytes, which are um, part of the garbage men in the brain um, that help to clean up our brain. And so when you get mercury accumulation within a neuron, that can affect um communication and function of that cell so then the housekeeping of our brain you know is compromised and then you know um mercury can also affect other neurons in that um it can affect um you know essentially cellular communication so whenever you get a toxic metal in a nerve um and they're hard to get out and then it just kind of um short circuits the whole kind of communication network, if you think about it. And a lot of when we see cognitive decline, it's because of those um, loosening of connections and, you know, um, neuronal cell death and kind of those more spaces in between the um, synapses of the cell. And then you're getting this kind of a lack of connection and that turns into lack of function and, you know, all of the, you know, things that we see. And so um, mercury is one and then aluminum, you know, does more or less the same thing, um, but just has a couple different mechanisms. So um, aluminum is everywhere. Aluminum can be um, in the way that we get our water cleaned in the municipalities. Aluminum sulfate can be added to the water. And then that, if you're not filtering your water, you can be drinking it. Um, it can be in our foods. It can be in our medicines and our vaccines. It can be in our personal care products. It can be, um, you know, just in our environment. So it, we're, we're really inundated, you know, with aluminum as mm -hmm. well. And aluminum has a charge that makes it really, once it gets in, you you know, certain tissues, it's hard to kind of break free and um, get apart. And so it can um, affect the blood vessels. So the, the blood vessels in the brain, so it can create inflammation. So we call it, a, it um, creates neurovascular inflammation. Um, it can also um, affect what we call the microglia, which are, um, you know, really important um, neurons and immune cells in the brain. But, and when they are overactive or overreactive, they create this kind of perpetual inflammatory process and then neuroinflammation translates into symptoms, right? And so aluminum can be a trigger, you know, for that. So um, there's, there's lots of other mechanisms, you know, that aluminum affects the body, but I feel like, um, mercury, aluminum, also lead, you know, we don't, we kind of forget about lead, but lead is still very much part of our, you know, um, you know, environmental burden. And, you know, if you've had an exposure to, especially as a woman early in life, um, we can store lead in our bones. And then when we go through menopause and our estrogen levels drop, we can actually have what we call a reverse toxicity where we're going to leak teaching lead from our bones. And I see this, you know, I've, I've seen this a lot that, you know, women will have more neurological symptoms sometimes during menopause. And, um, you know, it's basically they're, um, they're getting affected by their past lead store that's being released from their, their bones. And often, you know, you have to, of course, support bone health and we often support hormonal levels, but also um, help people um, really chelate that lead out of the, the body. And, and, and lead is very detrimental to our brains. I mean, we know even, you you know, conventional medicine study or um, test little babies, you know, for lead in early, um, early years, because we know that lead can be very damaging to um, our neurology and our um, IQ, you know, so they, they look at that, um, you know, which I think is wonderful in one aspect, but I'm like, yeah. we're forgetting all this other, all these other exposures, yeah. you know, for the young kids. But um, so those are the big three. I mean, there's other metals, of course, as well. I know, you know, my mother, 
And she has now moved into memory care. And I feel that as her bones have broken down with osteoporosis, that they have released this. She's she's of the age that lead paint was all around her. Mm. And I my gut feeling is that, that lead has played a real role in her cognitive decline. Yeah, yeah. No, as she ages and her, her bones yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's, again, um, you know, where we sit today is, okay, trying to avoid exposure, but you know, that is still, you know, it's in older houses and paint, but, you know, it, it's my understanding, I haven't looked at it in the last year, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that still the airline industry uses leaded fuel. And so even though we've gotten it out of our cars and our gasoline, you know, um, airplane, you know, and whether you're flying or, you know, just in the atmosphere, right, that lead, you know, lead is still something that we need to be concerned about. And we even saw in Flint, Michigan, right, um, the lead yeah. toxicity for the children. And um, I interviewed Stephanie Seneff, and she really shared it was like that perfect storm, you know, that there was lead in the pipes, you know, um, you know, from just kind of, you know, old, um, you know, past, you know, piping. And then um, Flint, Michigan, um, Flint, Michigan ha- is one of the highest sugar beet um, communities. So there's a lot of glyphosate in the, you know, agricultural um, community that gets into the water. So then you're getting the glyphosate in the pipes that's chelating the lead. So it's stripping more lead out of the pipes and making it more um, available in the water. So it's this, you know, we often say the perfect storm rate chain. It's like, and, you know, if it was just lead, you know, if it was just mercury, we could handle that. You know, it was just, but you know, but it's all of these things. And and that's why we, we see what we're seeing. Glyphosate in the brain. Yes. So how do we try to avoid it? We eat clean. We eat organic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any other ways? And how do you detox that? And what does glyphosate do in your brain? Yeah. Yeah. Glyphosate is, you know, the active ingredient in Roundup. So it is unfortunately widely um, available in the environment. And, um, you know, it affects us as humans. And even, you know, I'm an optimist, but I just want us to know, like, again, we we all need to take this seriously, because even if you eat organic, you're still being exposed. And it's because it's still there. It's still there. So I just eat organic, please, you know, and please feel empowered by that. But just also know that we're just up against uh, a lot of environmental exposures to glyphosate. And so, um, you know, and glyphosate affects, it's really insidious because it affects so many systems in the body. So when we just kind of look at the lens of the brain, you know, obviously we have the gut brain connection, right? So glyphosate interacts with what we call the shikimate pathway in our gut microbiome. And so it actually creates deficiencies in what we call aromatic amino acids. So like uh, serotonin and tyrosine, you know, things like that. So if you have thyroid issues that could be affected, if you have, you know, depression, if you have sleep issues because serotonin gets um, produced into melatonin. So, you know, it's kind of on that gut microbiome level um, affecting our production of important amino acids that are and building blocks for uh, neurotransmitters also creates leakiness and permeability, not only in the gut, but also in the brain. So it uh, creates leaky barriers. So making these um, areas of the body that should be um, more integrous and prevent, you know, um, you know, um, entry into different body compartments, we're, we're losing that kind of membrane stability um, with having glyphosate in our body. And then um, Dr. Senef, who I mentioned, who's educated us a lot, you know, she has this wonderful paper that really kind of talks about how glyphosate, it's kind of a 
a story that I'm, I'm happy to dive into more, but the story, the, the cliff notes is that glyphosate creates an opening in the gut that makes us more um, permeable to aluminum. And then the combination of glyphosate and aluminum and how they're carried in the blood together make its way to the pineal gland and then can affect um, our pineal gland. And so the pineal gland can be affected by glyphosate and then that can affect melatonin production over time. And that's really important for our circadian rhythm, for our glymphatic system. It's also yeah, exactly. It's like neuroprotective, it's detoxing. And so, um, so when we think about brain health, we, the, the pineal gland is really important and our pineal gland is affected by, uh, what I just said, glyphosate, um, you know, aluminum, but also fluoride, which is in the water, also EMF. Um, it can recover, it can, you know, heal, you know, we can, you know, improve functioning, but, um, you know, I do dental x-rays on my patients and I have a local dentist who will call out that she sees the calcified pineal gland and many of the patients. Yeah. So we can see that on a, a cone. Beam. On an x-ray? Yeah. A cone beam. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so, and then, you know, uh, not to sound esoteric, but, you know, uh, we have the pineal gland, of course, is for like great for circadian rhythm, melatonin. But there's this whole, you know, um, consciousness story around the pineal gland. A lot of cultures, you know, have studied it and looked at it. And um, I'm down the Dr. Joe Dispenza rabbit hole these days. And we call the pineal gland a um, neuroendocrine transducer. So it's basically taking light information and energy and um, helping us to turn that into um, different neurotransmitters and then not only for sleep but also in our meditation processes and our kind of ability to kind of um connect to something outside of ourselves and so i find that that um you know uh, of course we want to keep that connection open in life and so when we think about how this is affecting us from all these different angles i i think it's it's really important and we need to increase awareness around this i need to let you go before we wrap up thank you is there anything else you want to add yeah, you know, I know I kind of sound like a bummer right now, right? I'm just, you know, telling people all the things I don't think so. now go wrong. But, I, you know, I'm really sharing about this as a woman empowered place. Um, I know Jane has a lot of wealth of resources and information to, okay, this is what we're up against, but this is how we move forward and how we can recover. The brain can heal. The body, I mean, the body can heal, of course, but, you know, I, I want you to know that the brain, you know, we can make new neurons, we can make new connections, we can, you know, we have this whole opportunity to rewire and create a new story. So um, just because we might have a lot that we're up against doesn't mean that that can limit us um, or prevent our um, ability to actually improve our brain as we age. And so that's the, you know, definitely the message that I want to share and I feel that I guess one last thing that's on my heart to share, Jane, is that, you know, as I've been studying the brain more and more, you know, I um, do all these summits and I'm so blessed to learn from so many people. And what I um, have really learned about is the heart, right? And, you know, we have this beautiful heart, right, that helps mm-hmm. our blood and, our, you know, keeps us connected, obviously, to the rhythm of life. Um, but we have the ability to connect with our heart, And the more that we connect with the energy of our heart, we strengthen what we call that electromagnetic signal that basically our heart produces. And that's when we're in these states of like gratitude and love and, you know, all the feel good stuff. And the heart, because it has the strongest electromagnetic field in the body, actually informs the brain. So if we want a healthy brain, 
and we want to have coherent brain waves, we have to connect to our heart. And I think that, you know, that the more I sit with that, you know, and I think about all these neurological illnesses, I'm like, we, we have to, we have to bring it back to, you know, our hearts. And I think there's, you know, we all have access to, you know, tuning in each day, whether we choose to or not and connect with, you know, what's going well, what, who do we love? What, you know, what are we grateful for? And that sounds so Pollyanna, but it actually, we're wired. Our physiology is wired to respond in a positive way when we make time for those states of consciousness. I am so glad you ended with that. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Schaffner, thank you for your time. Oh. I think the world of you, and I really appreciate this time together. Oh, I'm, I so enjoyed it. And I, I know that we'll have many more conversations and I'm just thrilled that you're doing this podcast. So thank you so oh, much for inviting thank me. You. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.